Hello and welcome back to the Yeshua Judaism series of podcasts. Okay, today I'm going to begin Antichrist 1. Now, I've already recorded Antichrist 2. Now, what do I mean by that? Antichrist 2 was where I got into the actual specific definition of Antichrist. This part 1, or this Antichrist 1, is actually preparational material. It's material that will bolster and support what I discuss in Antichrist 2. Also, this can stand alone as basically representing or being a discussion regarding the warnings that Yeshua the Messiah himself specifically gave, which are recorded in Matthew chapter 24. That is, uh, it discusses the answers he gave and the warnings he gave and the information he provided to his disciples when they posed a question to him. So, again, this will actually support the Antichrist material. And I'm going to include this in the playlist for the Antichrist 2 material because it does support it. It does provide background information which shows the truth that is presented in Antichrist 2. So here, and this will, by the way, in the, on the website, on the tormessiah.org website, this article will be shown as being Antichrist Part 1, or what is the Antichrist Part 1. The Antichrist Part 2 written material from the website is what has already been recorded in the Antichrist 2 discussions. And I know that sounds very confusing. You'll understand better once you get into this. Now, so basically what we have is we have a discussion here regarding what is the Antichrist. And first, an introduction. And of course, Christians, and you'll see this as we go along, Christians are unwittingly being led to embrace Antichrist, which I define and prove in Antichrist 2. So, in this material, I'll be using, by the way, the actual name for the person known to most Christians as Jesus the Christ. His historically correct name is Yeshua. I prove elsewhere within the material on the written uh, website, and I will eventually record that material, that Jesus is not, has not, and never will be his real name. Now, in this discussion, which may go five to seven parts itself, in this discussion I will focus upon the most crucial prophecies that Yeshua ever gave, Yeshua being Yeshua the Messiah. Though this discussion may at first glance appear foreign to the Antichrist subject, it is actually important preliminary material which proves extremely useful in the subsequent discussion in which I define Antichrist clearly and directly. Therefore, though you could impatiently jump over to the reading of the Antichrist 2 material in which Antichrist is defined, I strenuously advise that you do not do that, since if you do so, the weight of evidence proving my definition of, of excuse me, my definition of Antichrist will be substantially reduced. 
Now, this is one of the more controversial articles on the website, no doubt about it. This is one of the more controversial podcasts that you will hear. After hearing it, you will realize why. Yet, I feel confident that it represents a far more accurate solution to the Antichrist mystery than what has historically been Christianity's explanation. It may be incorrect in minor details, since at this time an exact understanding is impossible for anyone to know. However, I am satisfied that the overall theme of my opinion is correct. Generally, within the Yeshua Judaism material, I attempt to show that the actual Messiah, as he is presented in the New Testament, differs dramatically from the characteristics applied by most of Christianity and by counterfeit messianism. Now, what is counterfeit messianism? Counterfeit messianics are those who falsely claim to teach biblical concepts from a Torah perspective. They advance the idolatrous God-in-the-flesh Messiah doctrine and claim that it is supported from Torah. They deceive people into thinking that they are Torah experts and therefore that their teachings are supported by Torah. In fact, a legitimate Torah interpretation absolutely does not support at all a God-in-the-flesh concept. I prove that often within the podcast and YouTube material and on the website. Among such proofs is the discussion in which I present the topic of other gods, and that material has already been put in audio form in the podcast and on the, and on the YouTube channel. Counterfeit messianics shamelessly feed from the breast of the pagan great harlot of Rome, the mother of modern Christianity and the enemy of God. It is no coincidence that the false God-in-the-flesh Messiah of Christianity and counterfeit messianism has almost identical aspects. This is due to the fact that counterfeit messianism is Christianity masquerading as something that it is not. That is why I label it counterfeit messianism, and do so without apology. The label applies primarily because of the counterfeit messianic refusal to repent of their grotesque idolatry of worshiping a pagan Roman false god in the flesh, and that is indeed blatant idolatry. The Antichrist is popularly understood to be an actual individual who is expected to be a powerful spiritual, political, or military leader, even though the New Testament appears to clearly indicate this is not the case. Throughout history, various individuals were labeled the Antichrist. Despite the repeated subsequent proof that such individuals were not the Antichrist, but could have been an Antichrist, and the fact that no individual is mentioned within the context of the New Testament's reference to Antichrist, Christians nevertheless continue to make the same mistake over and over and over. They do so because Christian and counterfeit Messianic leaders wrongly lead them into accepting a common error. 
The problem is that Christians continue to label certain individuals as the Antichrist, even though there is nothing in the New Testament that implies that the term refers to a unique individual. Christian propaganda, bias, and deception are the reasons for the erroneous underlying understanding of Antichrist within Christianity. Within this study, I will prove this to be the case. I will also show how Christianity has good and understandable reasons for promoting a false explanation and definition of Antichrist. I will show, and this is all in part in Antichrist 2, by the way, I will show that if the Greek term Antichrist had actually been translated into English, then it could be easily shown to be a reference to various incorrect ideologies or a specific primary incorrect ideology. Those erroneous ideologies have one or all of the following features and characteristics. Number one, it could be an ideology in which Yeshua the Messiah is rejected. Number two, it could prevent distorted characteristics of the Messiah. That is, it could distort the role or mission or nature of Messiah. They could be seriously misrepresented. And finally, as a consequence of the distortions I just mentioned, a counterfeit or a completely bogus, phony Christ could be promoted. Both Christianity's God-in-the-flesh Christ and counterfeit Messianism's God-in-the-flesh Messiah are each a product of the third feature I just identified of, of Antichrist. They are both a product of that, a counterfeit or phony misinterpreted bogus understanding of Messiah. This first study, this Antichrist 1 discussion, provides important preliminary information that can be obtained from a prophecy by Messiah Yeshua himself regarding what would occur after his death. His prophecy allows a much better understanding of the Antichrist when that term is later focused upon within the Antichrist 2 material, in which I actually define specifically what Antichrist means. However, it is important for you to absorb this initial material, this Antichrist 1 material, because if you jump straight to the detailed description of Antichrist and Antichrist 2, your understanding of the study and of the proof regarding what Antichrist actually means will be substantially reduced. Okay, so that ends the introduction to this Antichrist 1. Now, let's get into how Yeshua's prophecy helps identify Antichrist. One of the last recorded lengthy conversations of Messiah before his death occurred as he was sitting upon the Mount of Olives. His disciples had a burning question they wish answered. 
We read of it in the 24th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. There are a multitude of truths that can be derived from Yeshua's words found in this area of the Gospels. However, this discussion will focus upon limited aspects of the material. So first I'll begin by reading Matthew chapter 24 verses 3 through 14 and I'll be reading from the NET or New English Translation. Again, Matthew chapter 24 verses 3 through 14. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, his disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Yeshua answered them, Watch out that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will mislead many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Make sure that you are not alarmed, for this must happen. But the end is still to come. For nation will rise up in arms against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of birth pains. Then they will hand you over to be persecuted and will kill you. You will be hated by all the nations because of my name. Then many will be led into sin, and they will betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many. And because lawlessness will increase so much, the love of many will grow cold. But the person who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole inhabited earth as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. Parallel passages are found in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, and the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21. I will quote from only this section of those parallels, which is pertinent to this portion of the present discussion. So first I'll read from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, verses 3 through 6, and then I'll follow that by reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21, verses 7 and 8. And again, I'll be using the NET version. First, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, verse 3 through 6. So, while he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of, of all these things that all these things are about to take place? Yeshua began to say to them, Watch out that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will mislead many. Then reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21, verses 7 and 8. So they asked him, Teacher, when will these things happen? 
And what will be the sign that these things are about to take place? He said, Watch out that you are not misled. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. The passages I just read are similar in all Bible versions, and in all the versions, the punctuation is also similar or exactly the same. Wait, punctuation? Why do I mention punctuation? Simple. You see, most Christians do not realize that the thousands of Greek manuscripts and manuscript fragments from which the New Testament is compiled, most of which differ from one another to varying extents, do not have punctuation. They are not punctuated. The sentences are not punctuated. The punctuation you find in your Bibles is added by translators. Let me state that again so that it will not be missed. This is an important issue, of which you should be aware as you read the Bible. The punctuation, which determines the sentence structure, and often even the meaning of a passage, is not, I repeat, is not, actually present in the Greek manuscripts from which the New Testament is produced. It is placed there, that is, the punctuation is placed there by those who translate the Bible. It is a best guess by those translators at rendering the passages in a way suited to what the translators feel is the intent of the verse. And what determines a best guess for those translators? Well, I am confident that in most cases, it is a sincere scholarly effort by linguist and Bible language experts. However, despite their sincerity, let us not be naive. Without a doubt, unintentional and possibly even intentional bias plays a major role in how they punctuate the various passages. There are various standard teachings that have existed within Christianity for approximately 1,700 years, and those teachings undeniably influence the rendering of a word from among various possible meanings, as well as the placement of punctuation within the verses. This is a fact, people. Anyone denying it is just being foolish. I will elaborate further on the punctuation problem later within this discussion. But first, let us consider a separate issue, a glaring problem, an unmistakable contradiction that severely weakens the commonly accepted understanding of the verses we just reviewed. Recognition of it will help you to more readily recognize the likelihood of what we will later discuss which is that the passages we are considering have been improperly punctuated in your Bibles in order to allow Christian and counterfeit Messianic leaders to advance a biased, false interpretation narrative. The few, many, 
Let us consider a few of the verses we read earlier. Please take note of how I emphasize the term many as I read each verse. First, Matthew chapter 24, verses 4 and 5. Yeshua answered them, Watch out that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will mislead many. Mark chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. Yeshua began to say to them, Watch out that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will mislead many. And finally, Luke chapter 21, verse 8. He said to them, Watch out that you are not misled, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. For much of my life, during which I was a typical Christian, and before I began to discover the actual truth regarding New Testament teachings, I accepted what is taught within Christianity concerning these verses. I believed them to be warning us to beware so that we would not be misled by false messiahs or, or people who claim to be Yeshua or Jesus returning. Christians are always told that the punctuation used for the phrases, quote, saying, I am the Christ, end quote, and saying, end quote, saying, I am he, end quote, within the verses we just read, are those false messiahs, or that those, it's those false messiahs literally claiming, I am Christ, or I am he. In other words, if you go look at the verses in your Bibles I just read and notice the punctuation, it appears that there, will, that there will arise on the scene individuals who, who will say, I am the Christ, or I am he. And it, you're led to believe that by how the verse is punctuated in your Bible. It makes it appear as though they will literally say, I am Christ, or I am he. For most of my life, I accepted that interpretation. The biased punctuation error will be dealt with later. Well, there is an obvious problem with such an interpretation. And frankly, it always bothered me, even when I believed the passages to be referring to false messiahs or people claiming to be Yeshua returned. It was a problem that caused me to never really feel comfortable with the standard interpretation of those verses. The term many should speak for itself. But just so you understand, let me point out what should be obvious even without my having to mention it. The Greek word that is translated as many in each of those verses does indeed refer to a very large number, a great multitude a lot of people. The following translation of the Greek term that is rendered as many in English Bibles comes from the publication, A Greek-English Lexicon of the New Testament and Other Early Christian Literature. 
The various renderings for that Greek word are shown to be, number one, being a large number, many, a great number. Number two, being relatively large in quantity or measure, much, extensive. And finally, being high on a scale of extent. Obviously, the renderings of the Greek as, quote, being a large number, many, a great number of, much, extensive, etc., explicitly defines a very large number of people. It has to be at least hundreds, more likely thousands, and perhaps more. If we are extremely low in our estimate and want to accuse Messiah of perhaps overstating the actual number, we should at least assume a few hundred. Moreover, most of those hundreds of alleged false messiahs Christianity says Yeshua was talking about in the verses quoted earlier should have come and gone by now. But even if we assume merely a few hundred, there is still an enormous difficulty with the commonly accepted meaning as taught by Christianity and counterfeit messianism. Further proof is found within the fact that Yeshua also stated that many would be misled by the many individuals about whom he was warning. Once again, that term also refers to a very large number of people. All right, here's the problem, people. Messiah stated that many would come in his name and that they would mislead many people. But I never knew a very many, and I was never told a very many. Additionally, any false messiahs that did arise had a very limited impact that, with the exception of a few, perhaps, they did not have many followers. Since Christianity would have you believe that Messiah was stating that many would be claiming to be Messiah or false messiahs, can you name many of those false messiahs? Can your pastor? I can't. If there have been so many, it should be easy to at least name 20. What about 15? Okay, let's make it easy. And just give me 10 of those many. How many can you name? If you research the false messiahs or false Christ, that is, if you Google that or search for that on the Internet, you may find information such as what I discovered on the Wikipedia website. The list I found was extremely liberal in how it defines a false messiah. I mean, very, very liberal. I have never heard of most of the people that it listed. It was obvious that whomever compiled the list included anyone with the slightest bit of evidence that could possibly identify the individual on the list as being a false messiah. It is a real stretch to legitimately list some of them as false messiahs. But I'll be gracious and assume the list was accurate. At first glance, when I did, when I 
If and you'll you'll probably see a similar list. If you go to Wikipedia and do a search for false messiahs or false Christ, you'll get a list. And at first glance, it looked like there were many. It looked like a lot of people. However, when I counted them, they numbered only about 50. Well, 50 is not many. It is not a very large, extensive, or great number of people. And anyone who says otherwise is being unreasonable and denying the obvious truth. And remember, and you'll see it if you Google it yourself, a lot of the people in the list, I would say, really do not even, shouldn't even be in the list. So in reality, the list is much smaller than the 50 that I discovered on the Wikipedia website. So this is actually a major dilemma, a huge obstacle that casts serious doubt upon the commonly accepted understanding that these verses, which I read earlier, are referring to many false messiahs or people who claim to be returning messiah, or that it doesn't seem to be showing or identifying, it seems to imply that those verses must not be referring to many false Christ. Here is a fact your Christian or counterfeit Messianic leaders will not admit. There have not been many. If they say otherwise, ask them to name them for you. I bet you most Christian and counterfeit Messianic leaders cannot do so. They will not be able to give you many names without researching it, as I did when I referenced the Wikipedia website. If there have been so many, Christian and counterfeit Messianic leaders should easily be able to give you at least 20 or so names the moment you ask them to do so. There have only been a few, many. Few, many? What do I mean by few, many? That is an oxymoron, a clear contradiction in terms. Yes, it is. But your Christian and counterfeit Messianic leaders require that you accept the contradiction without questioning or using your own common sense just as they expect you to do so with most of their other teachings, particularly Christianity. The simple fact is that many false messiahs have not appeared throughout history to mislead very many people. That's the fact. Many false messiahs have not appeared throughout history to, dis to mislead very many people, and that is strong proof. The lack of that many is strong proof that the commonly accepted interpretation of the previous verses is not simply false, but is utterly ridiculous. To interpret those verses as saying that there will be a very large number of false messiahs is simply ridiculous because it hasn't happened, and it will not happen. It's false. The obvious fact that it has not happened provides strong proof that that is not what the verse is talking about. That's not what Christ was actually warning about.
Okay? Now, I'm going to pause here, and we'll pick up in part two of this Antichrist One discussion, where we'll begin to discuss Yeshua the Messiah's later, and actually first, false Messiah's warning. So thank you for listening, and stay tuned for part two of this initial Antichrist One series of podcasts. Thank you again, and goodbye.